0: Hi everyone, Scott here from the Gen X Playback Show. Thanks again for tuning in and listening. We're now going to begin part two of our conversation on the 80s movie, Sixteen Candles, starring Molly Ringwald, Anthony Michael Hall, and directed by the famous John Hughes. So sit back and listen and reminisce, and hopefully we'll bring back some good memories for you. Here's part two on Sixteen Candles.
1: So let's get, let's get into kind of like some of the scenes and, sure. and that'll kind of lead to it. So, you know, the movie begins and they're at home, you know, it's, it's at the Baker residence. It's early in the morning. It's a Friday. Everybody's getting ready to go to work or go to school. Uh, the next day, Saturday is going to be um, the Ginny Baker's wedding. So everybody's all geared up for this wedding. Uh, you know, the, it's, it's a typical morning where everybody's rushing around, you know, the dad, uh, Paul Dooley, great character. Paul okay. Dooley, who who you know, you mentioned our favorite, one of our favorite movies. One of our a-
0: favorite movies. If you ever followed SCTV, there was a spinoff movie from uh, Bob and Doug McKenzie named Strange Brew, which is one of our favorite, one of the one of the silliest, funniest movies. Uh, we just absolutely love that yeah. movie, and Paul Dooley played the uncle uh, to the uh, to the female uh, heiress right. of the Elsinore Brewery, <laughs> right. And uh, he 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 was just a bumbling idiot of an uncle, but just so spot on good. And he was great in this movie too, yeah. Sixteen Candles.
1: Yeah. And so when I when I you know saw him appear in the film, I was like, yeah yeah you know there's the guy from Strange Room. But anyway, so so dad you know can't find his briefcase. They're bustling around, and you know once again talking about the technology of the time. Samantha is upstairs in her room with her direct phone line, mm-hmm. and that was kind of a big deal. Because uh, dad even said, I don't have a direct phone line in my room. And, you know, wh- why isn't she down here? She missed breakfast. And she's upstairs talking to uh, her her best friend, Randy, on the phone.
0: Okay. And also remember one thing about the Baker household is how many bathrooms did they have in the house? But they have like two? One. Just one? They had one bathroom. Uh, you know, something that you take for granted today, that house, uh, you know homes have multiple bathrooms, but... Yeah, I mean, back then we shared everybody in our house. Shared oh yeah, a we had one bathroom. Yeah, yeah, we didn't get the second bathroom until I was you know, almost out of the house.
1: Right. I mean, there was five of us living there, and there was just one bathroom. And you had you had a schedule. You had to wait your turn. Yeah, and you, that's you know kind of you know how it was here. At one point, you know the dad, he you uh, know he's, he's got to deal with the kids, uh, Mike and Sarah Baker, the the two youngest children. They're arguing. Sarah accuses Mike of hitting her, even though he didn't. But you know he said he would like to. And he comes walking out to scold them, and he goes to go back into the bathroom to spit the toothpaste out of his mouth. But Ginny has already slipped in behind mm-hmm. him, and now he has to wait and stand out there.
0: And I don't know if you want to share with anybody the character Mike Baker, um, who was played by Justin Henry, who mm-hmm. was actually, before Sixteen Candles, was an Academy Award-winning nominee He was for his portrayal in the movie Kramer versus yes. Kramer as the son uh the thing that always stood out to me about mike was i think you made the comment to my wife before we were married and we were talking she was asking questions about what i was like when i was a kid i don't know maybe the movie was on in the background and you made the comment amy if you want to know how scott was at 12 just look up there you know that's that was scott at 12 all years right old.
1: so i i totally did not remember i, I don't remember making that comment okay. to your wife however when i watched the movie. And there's the scene where where Mike is walking down the hallway and he bangs into the door first. And I was like, "Hey, there's Scott." <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's still he still reminds me of you at twelve. Guilty. You were uh, you know Mike's Mike's kind of uh, a twelve year old who's you know kind of a little bit you know he's, he's got a little bit of moxie to him. He's but he's got his own little world going on. He's got his headphones. He's uh, there's one scene where he's he's sitting at the table. He's he's drinking. A bottle of Coke, and he's got, he's got he's got a bowl of pretzel sticks, and he's smoking it like a cigarette. <laughs> <laughs> Wasn't he wearing <laughs> wristbands too? <laughs> he probably was. And I think he was listening. We had like a Sammy Hagar poster, so you know he's yeah. kind of into like that that hard rock scene. Uh-huh. Yep. So, anyways, it starts. You know, Sam Samantha's upstairs. She's talking to Randy on the phone, and she's like, "Okay, well, you know, you know, it's my my birthday. Uh, you know, she still feels like she's a little girl. She's looking at herself in the mirror." And she's like, oh, I better go down there and and let everybody wish me happy birthday. And she comes downstairs, and not one person in the family remembers that it's her 16th birthday.
0: They got totally caught up in the morning and all the chaos of the morning. And Ginny's
1: wedding coming up. Yep. And because the grandparents are coming over that evening. Yep. So there's a lot
0: going on. And everybody leaves, and she's staying there by herself. And she goes, I can't believe they forgot my birthday. Right. So there you go. Right.
1: And then, so now then we're going to go to school and, you know, you know, Samantha, she's there in class, she's in a study hall. And this is, you know, before phones, when we wanted to message one another back then we would pass notes. Mm-hmm. And so she is filling out an anonymous survey that was handed out in like sex education class. Okay. And so she is, she, you know, it's supposed to be, you know, you know, have you ever done it with anybody? If, if not, you know, who would, who, who would you? And she writes down the name Jake Ryan. Jake Ryan. And then the final question is, does he know? And then she did it's no. Three exclamation points. Underline. 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 Well, remember before she uh, you know finishes out the
0: survey, he's sitting behind her in study hall, <laughs> right? And she just kind of slowly tries to turn around and see if he's you know paying attention, and he's staring right at her. <laughs> so that was that was a great scene because she's like, oh. And then she finally decides, okay, you can kind of see the, the, the exhale where she finally writes the name down. And then she's like, uh, and then she tries to casually drop it on the floor, but, but her you know, friend Randy yeah. has, has fallen asleep. As you wouldn't study attention. all. Sure. And, uh, so Jake sees this note hit the floor. So he goes for it and he grabs it with his foot and drags it up and he reads it. And he knows that, uh, now Samantha, but it puts Samantha on
1: the radar for Jake Ryan. Right, and, but, you know, right afterwards, it, it's, you know, she kind of, uh, you know, Randy asked the question, well, you know, did you put anybody's name down? And she goes, yeah, you know, I put Jake Ryan's name down. She goes, well, Jake Ryan, he doesn't even know you exist. Yeah. So, because Jake Ryan is the popular, very, very wealthy, um, uh, good-looking uh, senior that's dating the prom queen. Right. They are pro-
0: you know, if you're looking at the, the couple of the school, they're probably, you know the king. You know, if you said a king and queen, sure, they're probably the couple that everybody looks at and envies. The guys all think that the the girlfriend is is beautiful, and and the girls all think that Jake is is handsome. So right, they're they're the it couple, Jake and Caroline. It. Caroline right. to be the girlfriend, right? And uh, you know, there are uh, Haviland Morris played the uh, role of Caroline, so they were the, they were the couple that everybody wanted to be. So after
1: Jake gets this note, he's he's I, I love this scene. He, he's talking to his buddy Rock. They're, they're doing, they're doing pull-ups Yep, and they're kind of going back, you know, you'd see one head pop up as one guy does a pull-up and they're kind of doing it, you know, back and forth. And, you know, Jake's like, so uh, what do you think of Samantha Baker Uh, or do you you know who she is? Sophomore, right? (laughs) And, and it's like, it's like, yeah, it goes, what do you think of her? He goes, I don't. I don't. (laughs) (laughs) and and it's the you know it's this this well she's not ugly and it's like yeah but there's just nothing there and he's and you know and rock he's got kind of like this italian thing going on and
0: he's like you got caroline what do you what are you what are you talking about what's wrong with you 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 got the best looking girl in school
1: and he he's got this line where he you know basically says that samantha's like a little girl and and caroline's a woman (laughs) (laughs) so then it kind of goes walking off and so that's kind of where they're at right now so you know you got to. I think that's another layer that, that John Hughes kind of puts in this. So there's going to be a little pressure on Jake because, you know, he is dating the most beautiful, the most popular girl in school. And now he's, it would be a very conscious decision to now go after a, a, a sophomore.
0: Right. But Jake has clearly lost interest in, uh, you know, in the relationship between him and Caroline as we find out. Caroline, you know, though at times she comes across as very sweet, uh, sure. she has a side door that is not very likable particularly to jake she takes advantage of him uh, the the scene in where they're dancing in the uh in the gym at the dance and she's like what's your problem and he's like i don't have a problem she goes hey let me tell you something i could name you know guys that would kill to have me right and i, I knew some girls like that in high school they 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 knew what they what they had and they they Use it to their full advantage. So. Yeah, she
1: even goes to the extent of that scene you're talking about, where she grabs his face. Yeah, and she's like, you know, look at me. It's like, hey, you better give me all your attention. Yeah, but you know, and you know, you talk about her being sweet, and that's one of the things when Samantha and Randy are talking. When she says, when Samantha says she's she has a crush on Jake, he's like, but you know, he's dating Caroline, and she's like, really sweet. And there are kind of little little scenes here in the movie where she does kind of come across as pretty nice. She, she's a party girl, and that's kind of like her downfall. She she likes to be the center of attention. And when she is partying, she gets really crazy and out of control, and Jake's kind of done with that.
0: Yeah, yeah. He's he's kind of sick of it, and he's thinking about something, something different. And maybe he – who knows if he, he – I'm sure he was probably thinking – the character was thinking about this before – uh, Samantha Baker's note fell on the floor sure. in study hall cuz he's staring at her. Right. And so, you know, I'm sure it was something that was coming across his mind and maybe that just kind of got everything got everything going in in that direction that would end up happening in that weekend.
1: Right. So it's not a good day at school right now for Samantha. And and now she has to do what you never really had to do in high school was ride the bus. Um, not I, in high school. Not in no. high school because so, I had to freshman year till yeah. I got my driver's license, yeah. and then after that, then I drove us to school. Yes. Um, yes. So, but but uh, Samantha and Randy now have to ride the bus home, and it's kind of they're at that age. And I remember this because you know before I got my driver's license that freshman year, when you're riding the bus and you have like kind of these these weird little kids, they're still in the bus. Uh-huh. It, it's it's not a lot of fun. Well.
0: I think one of the real priceless gems of the whole casting in the movie was the bus driver, the, the kind of that real awkward bus driver where he's giving everybody high five. <laughs> we folks, we actually had a bus driver that was kind of like that. Oh yes, we did. And he was somebody that, uh, I know Sean and I thought was particularly odd. Yeah. And, uh, but the little kids liked him. You know, uh, they, they, they thought he was funny. Uh, we thought he was very strange. But yeah. and you could tell by Randy and Sam's reaction, uh, they kind of fell in lines with how Sean and I
1: felt about our bus driver when we were younger. And that's kind of what happens, you know, when you're a little kid, you're on the bus, you know, it, that, that little quirkiness is fine. Um, but, you know, as you get older, you are ready to get off the bus. And and Samantha and Randy are ready to get off the bus. So they're riding the bus. They're kind of, you know, they, um, Randy gets off the bus with a group of people. And now there's really only Samantha sitting there, uh, a, a young Joan Cusack is sitting in the seat next to her. Wearing a neck brace. Wearing a neck brace. And then you hear the theme to Dragnet. That's right. And then Anthony Michael Hall's character comes up for the first time. Well,
0: the first, you don't actually see his face you the first time. You see the shoes. Yeah. And he's wearing sneakers, jeans, and a button-down shirt, I believe pink was yeah yeah and uh so that was uh you know pink being the 80s yeah but that is one hundred percent, absolutely something i would have worn at the same time when this movie came out the pink shirt well no but the button
1: down shirt oh yeah no jeans and the sneakers
0: absolutely hands down
1: yeah especially later on at the dance where he's wearing that yellow shirt Uh so that's exactly how i dressed i mean it it would have been hanging out hanging out exactly exactly You, you wear you wear the white uh, leather sneakers mm-hmm. you had the probably the levi's and you had a a button-down shirt now scotland went to a, a private uh, christian school where we were required to dress that way so we didn't really have an option you know with their you know we had to wear college shirts right um not in high school uh as no. much but we still you know there still was a dress code but you know we didn't need a dress code because we were just exactly like he was dressing exactly dressed there. like that
0: and his opening scene maybe one of the funniest he's stalking her kind of like an animal and it's just it's just great the way he puts on this unbelievable uh awkward come on to Samantha and she's like doing her very best to to ignore him trying to keep him away and he's just not you know he's not li- letting up on her at all and he's like smelling her and it it's 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 great i,
1: well, it's, I love that scene i love the fact that the moment she turns away he's like looking at her and smelling her. Yeah. And, and it's like, and then he she'll like turn to look at him and they like, like catches himself and he kind of like, you know, looks around as if nothing happened.
0: Yeah. And then, and then he's tells her not to, you know, about being hostile. And then she curses at him and he goes very hostile. It's, I love that. I love yeah. that part of the movie. So they, uh, finally she gets off the bus and then he sits down and he's right across from where Joan Cusack is, or she's known as the uh, geeky girl. Yeah. She uh, doesn't have a name. Yeah. Uh, and he, yeah, yeah. He's basically trying to convince her, like, yeah, yeah, she likes me. Yeah, and and Jaren's like, ah, uh, yeah, yeah. So,
1: all right. I mean, I think you and I probably both knew guys a little bit like Ted. Oh, absolutely. You know, growing up, that you know, I I never had the chutzpah to to be able to do that. Uh, there, there's no way I could have taken the rejection, but there were guys that that were, I I, I have seen at that age do exactly what Ted did. Well, at this point, you wonder if, if Ted
0: realizes that he is starting so low on the high school uh, totem pole. Uh, he's In his mind, he still thinks he's great. Because he just came out of eighth grade where he's kind of the king. Yeah, and he's the king of his friends. as That's obvious in the movie. Right. But yet everybody else looks at him as a second-class citizen based on the fact that he's simply a freshman. But he doesn't, you know, whether he knows it or not... He just keeps pushing forward and you got to give the guy all the credit in the world. I used to admire I had friends like yeah. that. They couldn't they 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 somehow could just uh, he could they could talk to eight girls. Seven of them could tell him he's the most disgusting person right. they've ever met and number right. 8 said okay. And I was like, "How does he do it? How <laughs> how do, how can you take that much rejection and just keep moving forward? It's like yeah. Rocky Balboa."
1: Right. So and that that was Ted. So Samantha gets off the bus. Now she's at home, and she the she goes to go up to her room, but her room is now occupied by her grandparents. Yes, uh, and
0: that is the uh, the Baker grandparents. The Baker grandparents. Yes, yes. and that is uh, let's see, that was played by Billy Bird, She was the grandma, and Edward Andrews, and they have some pretty golden scenes coming up in the movie as well. And Samantha sees them for the first time, and they're in their underwear. So right. They are
1: undressed. Right. And it comes up, you know, they, 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 chat a little bit. She's not necessarily thrilled to see them, but then she says at one point, do I look a little older to you? And
0: just like the same thing that happens in the morning with the the rest of the family, they
1: don't. Like, no, no, you don't look no, any older. No, no, no not at all. Not so at all. Sam walks out, uh, uh, you know, cause she's kind of like in, a, in an attic type of apartment, a mm-hmm. uh, little bedroom up there. And she comes downstairs, she shuts the door as her grandparents are in the middle of talking to her, just kind of shuts the door on them. And she's like, I can't believe gran- grandparents would forget a birthday.
0: Yeah. And then she meets the second set of grandparents, right. uh, the mom's parents. Right. And that is uh, Grandma Helen and Grandpa Fred, played by Carol Cook and Max Showalter. And they had some pretty scene-stealing moments. They're not in the movie much, but what they do is pretty darn funny when they're in there. They're only in there for a couple minutes for the whole movie. But obviously, uh, you know, he comes out of the bathroom.
1: As as Grandpa Fred is is wont to do. With the newspaper in his hand.
0: And then, uh, you know, Grandma, uh, he he goes and sees her and, well, well, who do we have here? Isn't it Samantha Baker Davis Jr.? And he starts tickling her and then Grandma comes in and she tells him
1: to stop because she'll tinkle. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) And then Grandma, of course, notices that she has developed her breasts. Right. And then decides to feel them as well. Yeah.
0: And so, you know, another great scene where she goes into Mike's bedroom and lays down. She goes, I can't believe my grandmother felt me up.
1: And she thinks, all right, so, you know, the grandparents are there. uh, And so when the grandparents are there, obviously, Samantha goes down to Mike's room. Right. Because Mike has bunk beds. Right. So she's going to now camp out down in the bedroom like she normally does. However, we hear a gong.
0: Yeah, did she hear the gong, you think?
1: (laughs) (laughs) And all of a sudden, this
0: head comes upside down over her. And what does he say? Because what's happening, hot stuff? And she was not expecting that at all. And then, of course, the next scene is down in the kitchen where mom is explaining his name is Long Duck Dong. Bong. And then they play the gong again. And And that's
1: the scene where Mike is pretending to smoke pretzels, uh, pretzel sticks. Sofa City, sweetheart. (laughs) Yeah, right. Yep. So so anyway, so, anyways, so the, the, the parents um uh are, are gonna be leaving that night because they're they're going to be going and meeting with Ginny's uh, future in laws, the Rizchecks, Riz Checks. who the family insists on calling the Rice Checks uh and as then we eventually meet the Rizchecks at the restaurant and the father is into every stereotypical business <laughs> the mafia could be in little politics, yeah. a little loan sharking, uh, personal loans. Personal loans, yeah.
0: yeah. Yep. And, um, you know, Jenny's future husband is played by, uh, Rudy Rischak is played by an actor by the name of John Capellos. Somebody who's been in a lot of, I mean, he's one of those working actors that when you when you look at his filmography or how many times he's been on TV, he's been all over the place. He's definitely been busy in his, in his acting career, but... Eugen uh, xers would remember him as carl sure in the breakfast club where he played the janitor in in that movie but uh his hair was a little bit longer he had 16 candles. Yes, right? Yep. and he uh he, he played this playboy who's finally starting to settle down as as jenny told samantha when they were hanging out in the uh in the bedroom that uh you know Jenny's uh, had men that have loved her before but not for six months in a row that's right yeah. that's
1: right so she knew it was true love yep so while the the parents are having dinner with with the Riz Checks, the rest of the family is having dinner they're at the house and we get to meet Long Duck Dong and we, yeah. we get to get some more background information on the Donger yep so, and he, uh, he's, a, he's an
0: exchange student, as Sean said, with uh, Grandma and Grandpa Baker. Mm-hmm. And he is... So he's kind of going through what he does there. And he's, he's helping out because of, uh, you know, mowing the grass. The and lawn, mowing, machi- the, the lawn push, mowing machine. Pushing the lawn mowing machine. Pushing the lawn mowing machine because of uh, gran- grandfather's hyena.
1: So it doesn't get disturbed.
0: Yes. And so everybody kind of chuckles because his English is, isn't very good. Because
1: of course, Mike... You know, being a young Scott, High yeah. decided to like correct him and let him know that it's a hernia. Yeah.
0: It's a hernia.
1: Yep. So, and and my and uh, you know, there's a subtle little thing that you have to look for. But my favorite part of that scene is the fact that Long Duck Dong is using his his spoon and fork upside down as chopsticks. Yes, Boys, I do remember it.
0: that. Yes, I do remember that. Yep.
1: So at at this
0: point, uh Sam is feeling pretty trapped in the house and she's unhappy because up to this point, nobody has said anything about her birthday. So there's, she wasn't planning on going to the dance because she thought there was going to be some kind of a birthday party for her. Didn't happen. So mm-hmm. now she decides, Hey, she wants, she wants to go to the dance and, and they're like, uh, why would you want to? And so she said, she thought it was required by school for Jim and that right. they're being graded on sure. it. Sure. So they uh, so they decided to uh, agree and let her and let her leave.
1: But, however, Grandma said, "You know, Long uh, Dong, would you like to go to the dance as well?" And he gets all excited. And you know, of course, Samantha, you get this frown face, and now she's got to go to the dance with Long Duck Dong. Yes, and he drives. Uh, so he ends up driving Grandpa's car, yeah. as it as it turns out. Yep. So so okay. the, so the next thing. So now we leave the house, and the next thing is going to be at the dance. Now you do you remember and this I'm going to tie this into our last episode where we talked about disco music mm-hmm. and the the music that was played at this dance how it would have been different from 5 years earlier so this is 1984 you know 5 years earlier so at, at, in the disco era do you remember the song that was being played when they walk into the dance
0: i don't um i know the slow song that they end up
1: playing which was spandau ballet for true yeah right so the the song that they're they're playing is our house by madness okay and people aren't really dancing they're kind of just jumping up and down right and so that kind of gets into the point that you had made in our last episode where it wasn't you know the, the disco music was dance music right where where when we would have you know things like this it was just popular music that you might just kind of jump up around down to but this wasn't anything that had like a dance beat to it sure
0: yeah yeah because particularly madness that was uh, they were known as a ska band and yeah that was not that was not music that you would consider right playing in a disco for sure
1: right so Samantha shows up to the party with or to the dance with her friend Randy and who's there and Spiser but former Ted yep
0: and he's talking to his friend now we get to meet his friends for the first time right and this is where uh Cliff and Bryce they're standing there, and they, uh, you know, he's like, "Like we don't, we don't know Samantha Baker." He's like, "Sophomore, dude, sophomore," and just the whole conversation that they have back and forth, and then so they, they bet him that uh, he is not going to go anywhere with this girl, right? So what did they bet? Floppy disk. Yep, so I think it was 10. 10 floppy, ten or fifteen discs. or yeah. something like that. And uh, I, floppy disks at the time were very expensive. So that was quite a bet that that they that they had. And the thing I love about the thing I love about Cliff is during the whole scene what was he wearing
1: around his head? The, was, the 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 sound was, system that that he, or the uh,
0: it was like some kind of like uh like some kind of scuba it, well was, that's and, how
1: when when you see um Samantha entering the dance you see it through Cliff's eyes right oh and that's right the night vision goggles it's the night vision yeah, goggles okay, right okay. and it's kind of like he's he's in a submarine Right. and he kind of sees her and I, th- I think he even might even hear the yeah, pinging the in bong, the background yeah, yeah. The, the the pinging right. noise yep so he's wearing that and, but they also but but Bryce and uh Cliff also have some headgear on because well, they even though they're standing next to each other, they're talking to each other with micro through microphones. Yes, yeah, because they thought that was cool, <laughs> right? And there were there were kids
0: like that that you knew in school that w- were like that. I mean, they, they like you said, you're kind of in their own little world, and uh, so they, what they thought was completely cool, even though everybody else looked at them and thought that they were, uh, you know, complete dorks or or geeks. They didn't seem to mind. They, they they certainly didn't. They weren't as aware of the of the social existence like Ted was. Ted yeah. seemed to be a little bit more advanced than these guys.
1: Oh, Ted had had a desire to move up the the rank, you know, as quickly as possible. Absolutely, yeah. So he, you know, as Scott said, he you know, kind of bets them the, that he's you know he's he's gonna go somewhere with Samantha, and you know, so he kind of goes out there in the dance floor. He's putting his moves on. He's spinning around. Once again, listening to Anthony Michael Hall interviewed, he he said, uh, "John Hughes just let him make it up." So yep. that's purely improv. Uh, you know, on his part, he's like doing all these these weird like spin moves. He at one point goes down and does a split. Yep. He comes up gra- grabbing his crotch, the, you know, because it didn't quite go it, like like he had hoped.
0: And, yeah, he farted because when he went down, he he because uh, then he hops up and he's like, you know, kind of grabbing his butt. <laughs> right. And he goes back to his friends and they're all clapping for him because they obviously saw him right. completely. Because Samantha goes storming off because she's you know, completely humiliated at this point. And, and Ted comes back and he's... Even though uh, he didn't get uh, what he thought he was going to get with Samantha, uh, you know, I'm sure his friends probably thought the fact that he was even out there dancing. Right. I'm sure they looked at that and said, oh, he's so cool because uh, what it, none of those guys... And we were the, you know, sure. at that point, we were those guys where we we leaned up against the wall and watched somebody else go over and, and
1: talk to sure. girls. So. yeah, absolutely. So Samantha, you know, she's got this this crush on Jake and she gets to the dance and she sees Jake and Jake's dancing with Caroline. And, you know, you know Jake's not really that into it. And at one point, Jake kind of turns around and kind of looks at her. And, you know, Samantha, she doesn't necessarily react well. So Jake, throughout the day, Throughout the night, he kind of will, like, make make eyes at her a little bit, smile at her, and she does not know how to handle it. And so Jake doesn't know how to read this. So here's another example where she kind of goes storming off. And when she does do that, well, then she goes kind of sits down over in the bleachers at one point, and, and you know, Farmer Ted goes over there and kind of harasses her some more. Right, right.
0: And, and at this point, um, you know, Samantha is with her friend Randy, and Randy has found a guy. Yeah over there so now there's the three of them sitting over there and he goes over and he and he tries tries to talk to her and again he gets nowhere but after after they kick him out of their little where they're sitting out on the bleachers jake now approaches ted right and so
1: now he said i saw you dance with that girl yeah so he
0: he's seen him dancing with her and he's seen him talking to her but he has no idea that she finds him revolting right so they go over and they and they and they you know, he talks to her and says, "That
1: girl, what do you, you know? What do you tell me? What do you know about this girl?" Right, and you know, he's he's like, uh, you know, well, he goes, he goes, "Oh, I'm I'm going to take her home if my dad lets me." Yeah. So then, uh, you know, then he kind of goes walking off, and then we, whoops, and then we see Samantha. She's upset now, and so she goes in the hallway and she kind of sits down and starts to cry, and this is where I, what I'd said earlier about where, you know, people might say come on, it's only a crush, you're only 16, it's not the end of the world. But to her it is, mm-hmm. and and that's one of the, the things that John Hughes is bringing to this, is he actually spends some time with her in the hallway, and you kind of feel her pain, and that this is something that, at least in her world, at this time, she's 16 years old, no one has remembered her birthday, this boy that she has this huge crush on is with this beautiful girl, uh, you know, she doesn't know that Jake's having issues with Caroline at this moment. And who comes walking down the hallway, but Caroline and her friends, Caroline and her friends. And and the interesting thing is Caroline's nice. Yes. She's like, and she sees her crying and, but she says like, Hey, how's it going? And she's like, Oh, fine. Good. And, and, but so you kind of see these glimpses of Caroline and that, you know, she's not an ogre, you know, she's, she's not a bad person that she sees this girl in distress and, and, you know, because every way to kind of talk to her.
0: But then there you know I think the next scene that to me is one of the one of the great one of the better scenes of the whole movie is the is the scene where she goes into the shop yeah. and sits in the in the car that's being being done and then Ted comes over and approaches her and in, this time instead of Ted trying to have a conquest or trying to uh, hook up with Samantha the two of them actually have a really good conversation because nobody's watching where uh she's herself she opens up and 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 explains what's going on about the birthday about jake ryan and and ted for the first time doesn't come across as this obnoxious kid he actually shows that he has you know a normal side to him and the two actually really connect in that scene although he does
1: try to kiss her he does not once but twice he does, yes. So, and, you know, there, but, you know, eventually then they kind of be, you know, they they understand each other. So how
0: does a car with no engine set off the horn? <laughs> Think about that. <laughs> so,
1: so, that, that when, you know, one of my favorite parts of that scene the, the, in the auto shop is where, you know, he tries to kiss Samantha. She pushes him away. And he's like, you know, I'm sorry. And she's like, oh, that's okay. He... Yep. His head goes up, and you hear this ding. It just lights up. It's like a it's like like a Bugs Bunny cartoon <laughs> that his face just brightens up, and you and you literally heard a ding. Yep. And then he goes right back in again. Yeah. Yeah. And
0: and he John Hughes uses, uses those sound effects in a lot of his almost every one of his movies where he has used sound effects much like you go back to the Golden Age of like the Three Stooges sure. for effect. And it's a great it's a great. Effect in his movies because you don't expect it, and when you hear it,
1: it's funny, right? Right? So, you know, out of that, you know, there was the bet that um, a former Ted had made with his friends, and he needs to save face, so he he asked a huge favor from Samantha,
0: right? His friends bet him that to show that he had been with a girl. And he said, well, what kind of proof do you need? And they, and they originally, they wanted pictures or video or something right. like that. Right. And he's like, no, 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 no. And then it's, it's going to get out there. And, and then they, and then he said, underpants. He's like, all right, fine. <laughs> and then he takes about five steps away and they go, they look at each other and they go, girls underpants. Right. And he just goes, uh, grabs his chest and he, he moves on. But Samantha ends up agreeing because Ted was nice and listened to her. Right. He agrees to, to give him her underwear so he can settle this bet with his friends.
1: Right. And so as a result, there's this, this really funny scene where you see this this really little kid walk up to the bathroom door and uh, Cliff goes, what grade are you in? And he doesn't he, he doesn't answer him directly. He speaks into the microphone. <laughs> the little kid, he goes like, freshman. And he goes, come so, on in. And
0: they go into this jam-packed bathroom. And so Cliff and and Bryce... They're kind of collecting the money, and they've got, as you can see, they have a wad of money of yep. dollar bills. So at one point, they look at each other, and then they knock on the one stall, and the door flings open, and then Ted comes out, and then all of a sudden, and you hear the drum roll too, and you hear the, as he holds the underwear up And there, it's oh. like ah, so yeah, great, great. So
1: that that's the basically the the end of the dance. The uh, Caroline has decided. She's going to throw a party back at Jake's house because his parents are out of town, mm-hmm. and she's inviting uh, most of the school to go back. At least the popular kids to go back to Jake's house. You
0: know, it seems like all the seniors are there, you know, right? Senior class, and uh, so yeah, back at Jake's house. Jake Jake's family has, like you said, they're well to do. Uh, dad has a Rolls Royce, which we'll see later on in the evening. Jake drives a Porsche, which, uh, if you remember, uh, they gave away a Porsche on MTV. That was when. When Jake Ryan's Porsche, do you remember that? that contest I do. At the, you remember the the model of the Porsche?
1: It was a nine forty four. Nine forty four, correct? Yeah, and, and a red nine forty four, right? And uh, you know, just a uh, that that is a classic movie car. It's it's uh, I I'd still look back at that and say that that'd be an awesome car to have. Yeah. And, and so, so we go back to um, to the party. Um, now before long duck dong who's actually met a friend uh, marlene marlene the jock marlene the jock who uh, do you have any info on what happened to the the actress that played i marlene do the jock? i don't i, I, I do was, i okay. do okay she is actually a an airbnb superhost.
0: good for her yeah
1: she's like very successful good for and, her and i saw a, uh, a i found an article that was written about her because she's a very you know very successful with her airbnb
0: well, Marlene, if you happen to be listening on uh, Gen X Playback, if, we would love to interview you yeah. if you ever want to do a retrospective on Sixteen Candles, because you were phenomenal in that movie. We love the character.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So Mar, Mar you know, Marlene uh, and the donger meet, and so um, Samantha's going to go home. So Marlene and Long Duck Dong are, are going to drop... They drop Samantha off of the house.
0: Who's Long Duck Dong, who seems to be assimilating to American life quite well. <laughs> yes. Yep. And uh, so he's driving, wearing sunglasses, smoking a cigarette. Yeah. And he's now got a girlfriend. Mm-hmm. He's never been happier in his life. That's right. And he said, what, now I have a place to put my hand or something like he that? He did.
1: Now, do you remember the song that was playing? No. When they dropped oh. her off at her oh, house. Oh, it was
0: some... Um, it was... Was it uh, Wham? Turning Japanese by oh, the Vapors. Right. Okay, the yeah. Wham song comes a little bit later. That, that comes. That's, that's that comes, at Jake's house. That's
1: that's when Ted pulls the Rolls Royce house. Yes. Yeah, yeah. So okay. even though Long Duck Dong is Chinese, Turning Japanese is what was being played. close enough. Yeah. So uh, now we we go to Jake's house, and the it is an extremely nice house that is being completely trashed, destroyed. Yeah. There's there's stuff hanging
0: in the trees. There's People and uh, so Long Duck Dong and Marlene go pulling up to the party, and the way that they parked was
1: on top of another car. Sure, yeah. So uh, Grandpa's car got smashed into the car in front of it,
0: and they get out like there's nothing wrong, and so they go into the party. Sure,
1: and when in the party, uh, it, it's you know Jake is is not feeling it. You know he's you know Caroline is is very drunk, and she is you know, the life of the party. However, Jake is tired of it and he goes to his
0: bedroom. Well, Jake at this point has mentally checked out on the relationship. Right. I think he has kind of made that transition into he wants to hook up with, he wants to get, talk
1: to Sam. Well, sure. Because he goes to his room and he pulls out the yearbook mm-hmm. and he finds Samantha's picture. It would have been her freshman picture from the year before and he gets her phone number. So he decides he's going to call the house. And as he's, as he's trying to call the house, Caroline wanders up to, to his bedroom door, sits down, very, you know, very drunk. And she's like, you know, Jake, don't you love me anymore? And he's like, leave me alone. And he shuts the door on her hair. Gets her hair caught in yeah. the door. And so now she's stuck uh, in, in the door. Uh, you know, Jake, now he's inside the room. He, he tries to call the house. Of course, the direct line that he, he got, I'm not sure how he got the number. Yeah, I don't know
0: how he got the number either. But he got
1: this direct number to, to Sam's room. And of course, as we had said, uh, Grandma and Grandpa Baker are now sleeping in Samantha's room. yes. and so they, they, the phone
0: rings and it rings and it rings and they answer it and Jake hears the voices and he hangs up. Well this isn't the only time that he tries to call, so he tries to call several times keeps hearing the grandparents uh, so the first time that uh, you know he hangs up and Grandpa Baker says to Grandma Baker, uh, who was it and well what did he want and she just pauses and she goes sex <laughs> it's like even he hung up the phone right. grandma thinks he's a pervert
1: yep so uh continue well so then finally at one point he calls back and you know jake is there's like i know your grandpa's like i know you're there i can hear your breathing uh and he's like excuse me uh, uh is there a samantha baker there and if so may i converse with her Yes, it is. And no, you may not. So, and then he says, but can I leave a message? And he's like, I oh, he wants to leave a message for Sam. And so then grandma's like, give me the phone. And she takes it. She goes, God did not put me on this earth to be awakened in the middle of the night by by filthy suggestions from perverts like you. <laughs> and then he's like, and, and furthermore, our granddaughter, you know, will not have anything to do with you, You know, you know, kind of paraphrasing. And... So then, you know, he slams the phone down. You know, Jake's like, oh, you know, that's horrible. That didn't go well. And on the other end, Grandma and Grandpa are, like, very satisfied with what they Oh, they done, thought they
0: did a great job.
1: Even if Samantha doesn't appreciate it. That's right. Yeah. So now, meanwhile, Caroline still has her hair stuck in the door. Right. So she she's calling her friends over the friends eventually come come be over tracy and robin tracy and robin, and robin is jamie gertz jamie gertz who goes on to
0: you know quite a lot of fame she was in quite a few big movies one of my favorite 80s movies was the lost boys sure. she was also in less than zero with with uh robert downey jr right which that was a seriously hype movie didn't do quite as well but the lost boys is still a it's great. that's a great, great movie and, yeah.
1: and now she's been extremely successful in the business world she's part of her, the atlanta hawks and you know she's you know going to great things but she has this very small role uh, along with her friend Tracy Um, you know it's always like the scene where the two of them are you know kind of leaning over the railing They're, you know they're they're talking uh, you know Tracy's pearls come popping off and so they're on their hands and knees you know very intoxicated trying to find them and they wander up on Caroline with her hair stuck in the door and then they're like you know please help and then so Tracy's like promise me you won't get mad which is funny because later on Caroline does not remember any of this right but so she gets the scissors out, cuts you know, cuts a huge hunk out, out of the back big of her head, chunk of her head, yeah. But yeah. she hugs her because she's so happy that, yeah, so, that she got her
0: free. So now she's free. At this point in the uh, in the party, who who shows up at the party? But but that would be former Ted and uh,
1: uh, Bryson Cliff.
0: He has convinced Bryson Cliff to go. A very reluctant Bryson Cliff to go to this party. Like he's basically talking them into going with him the whole the whole time. So
1: I have had friends like Ted yes. that would get me in those situations where I'm probably Bryce in the background. And I'm like, what am I doing here? I'm going to get killed. Yep, absolutely.
0: And so they, they ring the doorbell. The doorbell gongs. I don't know how <laughs> they managed to do that. Right. But the door swings open. And who is hanging on the door? But your new host, who would be? Long Duck Dong. Long Duck Dong. So he, as if... Bryce and Cliff weren't scared as it was. They immediately start slowly backing up like you' you're getting ready to see the uh, you know the, the smoke from the from their feet running away from the house. Mm-hmm. Ted turns around and he's like, hey so he's, he's from out of town, you know And so he, he somehow manages to talk and they're not not inside the house for more than a minute, right And he leans up against the table that is being that is a uh, stack of beer cans on mm-hmm. it. So as soon as he leans up on the table, the The cans fall down, and behind these cans are three very large guys, probably seniors, probably football players. And uh, so, what does Ted do? Of course, he uh, blames Bryce. He cops out on it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So he uh, he turns and he, he you know very nice. Like, we're we're not even here. I, I'm just you know he just walks away. Right. So the uh, the football players turn their uh, sights on Cliff and Bryce.
1: Well, well, Bryce then turns the tables and says, "Very ni- very nice, Cliff." Right. Yeah. But the
0: two of them end up in the trunk of the car as right. they're being taken home. But they took them home, you
1: know. They you they safe. did. So you know, the party breaks up. You know, everybody leaves. You know, it's it's just uh, Jake. He's now looking at the mess that these people have made of his house. They've destroyed it. At one point, you look over, you see a pizza going around on the uh, the turntable of the stereo. So Jake is he's he's looking for something to drink. So he kind of like is moving stuff over on the table. He picks something up on this, this glass table, and he sees an eyeball. Underneath the eyeball, he, he moves everything aside, and there is Farmer Ted trapped underneath the glass.
0: In the glass coffee table. Yeah. Yep. So he he's starts uh, you know banging on the glass and sees him and yells Jake, and so Jake lets him out. And again, much like the scene where Sam and Ted are in the car at the dance. This, the next scene coming up is is pretty similar because now it's Jake and Ted right in the kitchen, and they're mixing cocktails for each other. With, well,
1: Ted's kind of kind of doing it right with Frank Sinatra playing in the background. Sinatra's playing in the background, and Ted's wearing an apron. So at some point he he puts on an apron, and he is he, he's he's mixing mixing the, the, a cocktail for for him and Jake. And he's kind of giving Jake advice. He is, yeah. And uh, when you
0: look at uh, you know another scene in, in in John Hughes's movie where you take you take all the um, the other people away, you know, you talk about the um, the the social um, what do you want to call it the, the pressure, peer pressure. Sure. You take the peer pressure away, and then it's just two people, and all of a sudden you have a normal conversation. Much like you know later on in the Breakfast Club, where you, you take all the the social circles away mm-hmm. and you bring four people together, and now all of a sudden they communicate in in a nor- real and normal way. Well, this is another one of those scenes in Sixteen Candles, where. Uh, you know, Ted and Jake are just having this conversation like they've known each other for years when really this is the first first night they've ever spoken to each other.
1: Right. I mean, they, they talked at the dance a little bit, right? It's the first night they've spoken to each other, but here they're having a, a natural conversation. And I, I, I like that. I think I like your point where you kind of, you know, talk about The Breakfast Club, because in that movie, they they make reference that when Monday morning comes, the, the athlete and the, the popular girl can't really talk right. to to the geek. You know, it, it just can't happen.
0: And I think in, in 16 Candles, you, you know, those scenes kind of make a reference to that, whereas in The Breakfast Club, he actually comes out and writes it in the script. Right. All right, you know, where he puts it right out there, where I think, you know, for somebody like myself, where you, and I, we've had situations like that. I, I'll never forget there was um, somebody that, that we knew growing up, and when we would hang out with them, and it was just us, how cool he was to me. And then I ran into him at school the one day, and you I took went up to, to my
1: friends, huh? One of my friends? No,
0: no. I mean, it was somebody in between. It was oh, a grade okay. in between. Yeah. So you you had moved on to high school. I was in seventh grade. This guy was in eighth grade. Yeah. Somebody that we knew our whole oh, yeah, lives. I know who you're talking about. Yeah. And I walked up to him and I said hi to him the first day of school. Yeah. And he all but slugged me because I was I went up to him where he was hanging out with his other buddies. Yeah. And to me it was it was it hit me over the head with such a dose of of what a, you know what the new reality is going to be. and it was a very tough lesson to learn, but it's something that John Hughes kind of attacked head on in, in a lot of his movies.
1: Well, one of the reasons that that I really like John Hughes movies is it there's oftentimes a character for everybody that that you can kind of relate to. And you know you, you take the Jake Ryan character. He's he's not pretending that he doesn't like these people. So even at the dance he walks up and talks to Farmer Ted. He doesn't care who sees him. Right. He he tells his buddy Rock at at the gym that he's interested in Samantha even though she's a sophomore. He, it, it's Jake isn't really as concerned with Who's the prom queen, and and you know who's who's the popular person?
0: Well, when he first brings the whole thing up with Rock, he's he's kind of dancing around it a little bit. Like, what do you think about? He doesn't. Yeah,
1: but get... it, you think it's because of that, or it's because it's just a girl? You know, I mean, because he he because he already has the girlfriend. Right.
0: Yeah, but I, I you know he's not he's not coming on and say, hey, I'm gonna I'm I'm getting ready to dump Caroline. Yeah. I'm thinking about going out with some way. Well, hey, you know, I, I, I saw this girl. I think she's kind of cute. Yeah. Yeah. He's kind of like, hey, what do you think about Samantha? Right. So like, like, again, that peer pressure thing is kind of still floating around there. Sure. But credit Jake Ryan in the movie for kind of getting past that and then not being, obviously, when you're a senior, you're not afraid to talk to anybody. Sure. So if you're going up, you're going up to when, when Ted sees him approaching, you know, when, when Jay comes up to, to Ted, Ted's expecting to get chewed out. Right. And, and you can kind of see by his body language and, and the nervous talk that he has. Hey, man, she talked to me. You know, he's trying to basically weasel his way out of the conversation. But, uh, you know, Jake in that first conversation was very top down, like he was talking down to Ted. When they're at Jake's house, it is a very evenly distributed conversation sure. between the two of them.
1: Sure, sure. And, you know, and so through the conversation you know, Jake gets affirmation through Ted that Samantha likes him. And he's, you know, it's kind of interesting because, you know, Ted has turned, it's all in a day. I mean, literally the, the whole thing is the bus scene takes place that morning. Now, a few hours later, he's now, you know, speaking up for Samantha and saying, you know, what a great girl she is. And he better not be just, go you know, trying to hook up with her because, you know, you know it's just this awesome girl. And uh, you know, it's just kind of amazing how that, that has all changed. But so now he's moving forward, and now Jake's kind of excited because now he has affirmation that Samantha is into him, and he he's already tried to call her even before he had this. Right. So he's yeah. very interested in this girl. Yeah,
0: he is, and I think this this kind of seals the deal for him that hey, yeah. I, I'm I'm definitely gonna I'm definitely gonna he's done with Caroline. Right. Because Caroline's passed out in the other room. Sure. He he even tells Ted, you know, hey. If I was, if I, because Ted said about beating him up, if, yeah. if he was you know, going to be bad to Samantha, he goes, hey, if I just wanted a girl, I got Caroline passed sure. out in the other room. Right. So um, he uh, decides to, all right, uh, he agrees to let uh, Ted take Caroline home, a very drunk Caroline. Keep in mind, Ted's a freshman and right. has no
1: driver's license. Well, so. And, and so that leads to one of my favorite scenes of the movie is is the car scene there in, in the Rolls Royce where... Puts him, Caroline's in the car. She, you know, uh, Ted's sitting there in the in the driver's seat, and on the on the other side of the door, right next to Caroline, is Jake. Caroline kind of wakes up, looks at Jake, and says, "Who's he?" And he's like, "He's me." And she then looks at, at Jake and says, "Well, who are you?" "I'm him." And and the uh, the just the facial expressions Ted's making while he keeps looking <laughs> over them, he, he gets like this a mouthful of braces, uh-huh. and he's like, "Uh huh, uh huh." and couldn't look geekier, but because like, okay. And then he, he can't drive the car properly. Well, he never drove. And he doesn't, he doesn't have a license. And he's driving a 1974 Rolls Royce.
0: Yes. And his, uh, because his, uh, Jake's car is a stick shift. Yeah. He can't drive stick. And he can't drive, he can't drive stick. But as, as we learn, he can't really drive automatic or a Rolls Royce too bad. Either. Right. So they, uh, they, they make it out there and, all right, so now uh, they're they're driving, and he's trying to do the right thing. He's trying to drive very slowly. Mm-hmm. And Caroline, at this point, has kind of like woken up a little bit, and she's being a super brat. She's mm-hmm. being really obnoxious, and to the point where he's scolding her.
1: Right, right. the um, the The geeky freshman is now scolding the prom queen, uh, and the. Uh, do you remember what was playing in the car? Because, you know, Caroline got herself all fired With up. Billy Idol. She's playing Billy Idol, Rebel yeah. Yell. So, yeah. you know, of course she's going to act crazy. Yeah. And she's, you know, throwing stuff out of the car. and try, It's this convertible trying to have the, the top go up while they're driving and decides that she's going to kiss him. And then, of course, he he uh, crashes into some trash cans.
0: Trash cans. Uh, before that, the, the car phone rang, which in 1984... That was, that what was it, high end. What a cost a pretty penny. Yeah, Yeah. Yeah. Make no mistake about it. So finally, she convinces him to uh you know just just let go and just have fun and you know he famously turns to the camera and says this is going to be interesting Mm -hmm. and and then he goes speeding off into the night i i think if i remember right i think he did say that was the first time he ever drove a car in real life i Uh, I wouldn't doubt it yeah um so then they off they go now we go back to the baker house Mm -hmm. dad comes in samantha's there on the couch sofa city And he finally, for the first time, somebody in the family acknowledges that they forgot her birthday.
1: Yep. Dad came downstairs and said, you know, it just just basically dawned on them. And he wanted to let Samantha know that, you know, they forgot. They were really sorry. You know, the whole wedding has everybody up in arms because, quite frankly, the family can't stand Rudy, uh, uh, Ginny's uh, uh, soon-to-be husband. And they just assume that, you know, Samantha, that's why she's upset. It's because she's not happy that Ginny's marrying Rudy and as she tries to tell her dad that um, you know she seems upset but it turns out then she finally talks to her dad about Jake
0: yeah and they and they have a really good conversation and so many movies of the time you know before during after the the nuclear family at times is, they come across as the kids like like sitcoms the, the kids are smart the right. dad's dumb right that's not the case in this movie. Paul Dooley does a real nice job as the dad because he plays it very, very much like any father would be in, in real life. The conversation that they have is a good conversation between a father and a daughter. And I remember having talks like that with my daughter when when she was younger, Not obviously not about boys, but just, just having a conversation where it's a very, I would say more of an adult type conversation where she kind of confesses something to him. He confesses, not, doesn't necessarily give her advice, but he kind of makes her feel better about her situation because uh, he, he sympathizes, but yet he, he kind of pumps her up a little bit as right. well. Right. Where, where he says, you know, I'm not worried about you. I, I know you uh, yeah, right. have a good head on your shoulders. And for a teenage kid to hear something like that goes a long, long way. Uh, it, a lot of times kids think, the parents think that they're idiots. And and here's, here's definitely a situation that is not like that because the dad is affirming his daughter and in, in how she's going to make, not not the decisions, that but she's like, I, he goes, I don't worry about you because right. I know you're going to make a good decision. Right.
1: So it, the end of the day is okay. You know, Samantha has had this terrible 16th birthday. And, you know, but here at the very end, right before she goes to sleep, she has this nice moment with her father. Then we go from that And we find out where Farmer Ted drove off to. (laughs) Well, you don't have a night like he was having without some proof. So he drives over to Bryce and Cliff's house to get that physical evidence to prove that he was the man. Right. And at this point, remember,
0: um, Bryce and and Cliff already believe that he had hooked up with Samantha. Samantha. So. He goes knocking on the, on the, do we know, are they brothers or are they just spending the night at somebody's house? (laughs) I
1: I assume they were brothers. I don't know. Okay.
0: Um, So he's banging on the window. Because he
1: knows they have the camera there.
0: And they, and they come to the, uh, they come to the window and he's like, he's like, get your camera and come outside. And they start asking him a million questions. (laughs) Yeah, right. He's like, just get
1: it. And finally. Is it it, it a UFO? (laughs) Uh, It's better. Uh, Extraterrestrial? Uh, Better. Female 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 extraterrestrial? extraterrestrial? (laughs) Better. Oh, better than the female show and they're like, "Well, how do you know if it's a female who has legs? Well, doesn't male have legs? Well, it has four. And then the window shuts. <laughs> so, that's, then, so that's what they—they're thinking about. Yeah. So, so they—they they finally come out, and they're like
0: fumbling around with the camera equipment. They look up, and there is Ted with Caroline
1: and a Rolls Royce right. outside along the street. And they're like, "Ted, that's a Rolls Royce." And like, "Ted, that's the prom queen." And you know, there he is leaning up against the car, and. So he's like, No one's gonna believe this. Like that's why I get you're getting the camera. That's out. what the pictures are for.
0: Yeah. So they finally uh they start to bring the camera around and, and he gets in the back seat and he's sitting with Caroline and he's like getting her to to pose and and right before uh I think Bryce Bruce turns Bryce, to, yeah. to, to Cliff and he goes, You know, black and white would just capture <laughs> the and so he throws a can at him and, and yeah. you know, tries to keep him focused. So Caroline finally, like again, wakes up a little bit. And she's like, "Oh, pictures!" And he's like, "All right, smile pretty." And so they, they take the Polaroid, mm-hmm. and it doesn't come out exactly the way that uh, Ted had hoped it. would. No,
1: you see his Ted's face, so that kind of defeats the purpose. And it's like even the corner of his face you see the, like one eye. It's, it's this is horribly shot head, ca- yeah. uh, photo. And uh, so, anyways, that, that's that's the night. And then so now we come to the next morning, and we once again are at the Baker household as they're getting ready for the wedding.
0: Only, only thing is the you know the shot is from the outside of the house, mm-hmm. and somebody didn't make it inside the house uh, that night because uh, grand grandparents were inside calling the police because they uh, Long Duck Dong never made it back back home. Well, he was home. Uh, he was just in the front yard, right? And he was laying in the lawn. As a dog comes up and uh, starts to make friends with, with Long Duck Dong.
1: Starts licking him. And, of course, then he was uh, calling the dog Marlene because he thought that it was Marlene kissing him. But he is basically passed out on the front lawn. And then we go inside and the grandparents are up. Um, well, I, I, uh, the the Paul Dooley is about ready to use the bathroom. And Mike is standing outside and telling him, I wouldn't go in there if I were you. Uh, uh, Grandpa Fred was in there for half an hour. Yep.
0: And so he, he doesn't believe him door mm-hmm. opens up. He goes inside two seconds later, door opens up and, uh, and dad comes back out again.
1: And Mike's like, they never believe me. Yep,
0: they never listen. Yeah. So, yep. Uh, but at, at this point, the uh, uh, grandpa, grandma, and grandpa Baker are on the phone because they're trying to, to locate uh dong. Right. And so they're, they're having this scene in the, and again, this is uh, where, uh, Grandma Helen is uh, trying to help with breakfast. Mm -hmm. So, you smoking a cigarette. Grandma Helen uh, is not necessarily the kind of grandma that, uh, which is which is funny because um, you know my wife Amy had grandparents that kind of reminded me a little bit of her. Uh, Not necessarily, you know, maybe she just did. She just did her nails. Uh, You know, her her idea of a healthy breakfast was you know cutting open the end of the donut mm-hmm. uh, box, which is what she did. And she's so proud of herself. She goes, oh, voila.
1: Yeah. And grandma Baker, the whole time has a spatula underneath her cigarette. Cause she has a very long ash. Yes. That she's afraid is going to fall into the food. Yes. And the whole time, um, the, uh, you know, uh, grandpa Baker's there on the phone trying to track down long duck dong. And, um, so eventually he calls it a missing person report. Eventually everybody gets dressed. They, they, they're going to the wedding. They get in the cars. Uh, you know, once again, with John Hughes movies, music is very important. We hear David Bowie's "Young American" playing in the background. They finally get in the cars. They load up. They go driving out. And as they they go by, uh, Grandpa Fred says, "Hey, Howard, there's your Chinaman." <laughs> Long Duck Dong is. They pull the car over. They stop. They get out. They they are first. They're afraid Long Duck Dong is dead. Uh, Turn, they, turns they, out he's quite drunk. He's he's yeah he's 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 completely drunk. Um, they uh, well, then Grandma Baker then kicks him at one point because they he then tells him hey, uh, Grandpa goes Where's my automobile? And he goes Automobile uh-huh. <laughs> Lake, very big lake. <laughs> and so then Grandma kicks him out for that. And then that's then they're off to the wedding. Yeah,
0: and, and uh, Getty Watanabe played the part of Long Duck Dong, and and Getty's you know Getty is a stage name; his uh, real life name is Gary. He's actually from Utah, right? And um, but he didn't speak a lick of Chinese. No, he didn't. He didn't know any. any, Sure, yeah, he didn't know any. uh, Didn't know how to speak Japanese. Didn't know how to speak any any Asian languages at all. Uh, But played some some pretty memorable characters over the years in some of the movies that he did. But uh, uh, very funny in this movie. And again, I know uh, his character has been criticized more recently. Or his uh, stereotypical behavior, but I think he was just trying to be funny. I think it was just trying to be a, a funny, a funny character. Uh, I don't think anybody was trying to be a you know offensive at the time, but I I thought he was one of one of the shining lights in the movie in terms of just from a comedy. Standpoint. Sure, I mean
1: you know when I watched the movie and went to school you know the next day I'm I'm citing you know Long Duck Dong lines. Every it seemed like every
0: line that he had was memorable. Sure. Uh, when Marlene says to him, you know, I've never dated a guy before, and what is Do- what does Dong say? Neither have I. Me me neither. <laughs> you know? It's like who expects who expects him to say that? Especially right. when he's probably been speaking English in America for weeks, maybe, maybe a month right. or so.
1: Right. So and, and you know, and also with, with uh Get when he I mean he was quite a bit older as well. And you know, I heard he was interviewed and he said that he he kind of deceived the casting director, and she thought that he actually you know was from another country and that he you know he spoke another language. He was just a good actor, and then they when they then they they he got cast and they said don't tell John. So he was on the movie for like two weeks, and then finally I guess it kind of slipped out and then then he, he let it let it be known that that he actually had you know he's from Utah. Right. Okay. All right. All right. So, you know, Dong is found. He's, he's not going to the wedding. The Donger needs food. So, the, the, he, as he said, so he went inside. And now we're, we're going to the wedding and we get to the wedding. And it turns out, well, you know, Jenny wasn't feeling well. So she took four muscle relaxants or muscle relaxers. Right. And just
0: as they got to the church is when the relaxers started to kick in and Jenny's behavior uh, went beyond bizarre. Right. So she had a very, very bad reaction to the relaxers, but very funny for those who watched the movie. And she started, uh, I think her walk down the aisle is, is, again, one of the funnier scenes of the movie where she's, uh, she's tired so she attempts to sit down well, well
1: before she does that backtrack a little bit so okay. so you're you're in the back room you can hear um the conversation between the mr and mrs baker about the yes. okay. situation they start arguing yeah and they start arguing and it you know turns out that she took the muscle relaxers because she had cramps because she had her period her period right. came early right and um the uh, the, the greasy bohunk as as her Rudy as Rudy as, as being referred to, he goes to uh, to the Reverend. He's like, well, I guess those who thought we had to get married are pretty embarrassed right now, huh, Padre? <laughs> I remember that Padre. Yeah. yes. play by that was Brian Doyle Murray. Brian
0: Doyle Murray who yeah. has been in so many different uh, television shows and movies. Brother of Bill Murray mm-hmm. and uh, a non-speaking role. In, in in this one. So. Well, you know,
1: I know I totally forgot that he was in the role. And so when I watched it here this week, and I was like, that's Brian Doyle Murray. That was Lou and Caddyshack. Come yeah, on. Right. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. So, anyways, pick up. She's, she's, Ginny uh, is, she, she, is, it says she's incredibly intoxicated right now. And right. she's like walking down the, you know, to go up, up, up front.
0: So she's trying, you know, she's, they're walking down, she's complaining, she's, She's, she's tired she's tired so she sits down halfway
1: uh, down the aisle do you know who she sits next to no here here I just found this out okay. it, it is Agnes Belushi. oh really John and John's Jenny's mother. mother yes yeah. is okay. the woman she sits next to oh wow okay and I, I she wasn't an actress I don't know why she was there but I saw on different sources that that was her
0: so needless to say uh, you know Jenny's uh, wedding day that she's probably dreamed about since she was you know a, a little girl. Is completely turned on on its head, and everything doesn't go as planned. You know, based on her behavior, so they get through they get through the ceremony. But then, as they're coming out of the church, and everybody is throwing rice at the bride and groom, which was done back then, sure. not done now. Uh, I guess rice is bad for birds, so you don't you don't throw rice anymore. So they're throwing rice, and Ginny in her in her in um, her. Drunken stay, state, basically. Yeah. Yeah. she starts jumping up trying to eat the rice as yeah. it's being tossed in the air so it's a very chaotic scene as they're just trying to get her to the limousine and and rudy at this point who we didn't really like in the beginning of the movie is actually trying to play the good guy here by trying to get jenny into the car and on their way with a cigarette hanging out of his mouth well, of course yeah. yeah it is chicago yeah. anyway um so she uh you know she gets into the car they're on they they go uh sam uh, she goes back at in that for the point, veil. Yeah, yeah, before they even got into the car, Sam said, oh, she forgot her veil because she took it off and, and put it... Because she couldn't sing, so she right. threw it off. So she goes running for it, and she runs into the organist played by Zelda Rubenstein. Mm-hmm. Uh, Gen Xers, you may remember her from another set of movies, also known as Poltergeist. I, yeah, she was the, the creepy woman in Poltergeist. She was the medium in, yeah. in Poltergeist. Sure. So she had a very, very uh, short-lived scene here where she was the organist in, in the theater and she's walking down and you can hear her, uh, I guess her flask tinkling yeah. in the, it, uh, as she's swinging from side to side. So she's walking towards Samantha who's at the altar. Sam grabs it. And so she's kind of like, Sam's kind of embarrassed that she's there. She's there. She, oh, my sister forgot her veil. You know, we wouldn't want her to forget it. And then she goes, she was a little out of it. And Zelda says, just a little. Mm-hmm. And so Samantha walks away and uh, the organist turns and looks, she goes, oh, I need a drink.
1: And uh, so that was her part of the movie. That was it. Yep. And, and then so, so Samantha goes outside because she wanted to see her sister off. She wanted to see her get into the limousine. Right. And at that point, everybody's gone. She missed it. And now she's, uh, you know, it's it's been one thing after another for the last 24, you know, 36 hours. It's It's been a tough time for Samantha. Right. So as you know people are in their cars and they're starting to drive
0: away. So great great imagery by John Hughes as you said never directed before. But great one of the one of the more memorable scenes of the movie is the music starts up mm-hmm. as the cars are pulling away, they're just sort of sort of going away into the distance left and right and then who's stand, who's standing there next to his car on the other side of the street is Jake Ryan. Jake
1: Ryan And the, I think, you know, the the choice of music, which was Wish You Were Here by the Thompson Twins, Mm -hmm. iconic song. I mean, it's forever associated with this movie, with that scene. This this is, you know, probably one of the most famous uh, endings in, in, at least in, in the 80s, would be this scene. It's like a romantic comedy. Is the, you can, what I like about it too is that, you know, John Hughes doesn't play it like this is just, you know, a fairy tale ending initially. It's, you know, Samantha sees Jake Ryan, her eyes get big, and Jake kind of waves to her. So what does she do? She looks over her shoulder to see if somebody's standing behind her. Yeah. As, yeah. as I think most of us would. Uh, typical of, you know, a You're insecure a kid would, sure. would that, who's insecure
0: would, that, would yeah. do, absolutely, yeah.
1: And, and then, so, you know, Jake comes uh, walking up. And, you know, by the way, we also forgot there was a whole scene that took place in the parking lot. Of the church, or they cross the street of the church of the parking lot, yes, yeah, where, where Jake and where we see that you know Ted and Caroline, uh, you know, are this are still there the next day. They have a conversation, they they actually went fairly well for them. They're, they're, they're about ready to kiss. Who would have thought that the that the geek and uh, you know, the prom queen uh would have kind of hit off, and then Jake pulls up in the car at you know this point. Caroline doesn't know that Jake's interested in Samantha and that's why he's there.
0: But again, you know, I'll I'll point it out, this is the third time in the movie where Ted has now now had yet another conversation with
1: somebody where it's just the two of them. (laughs) Right, right. And
0: and he is every bit the equal of of the
1: upperclassmen that he's talking to. Even though he had his headgear on, you know, and Caroline's trying (laughs) to wake him up, slapping him in the face. He's like, Mom, I have my headgear on. Yeah, yeah. So anyway, so, you know, and I never really thought about it in the past, you know, the only reason Jake saw them there was because he was going to the church. Because Caroline at one point says, you know, it's like, you know, he or he's like, uh, Ted goes, you know, where are we? And she goes, I'll tell you where we are if you tell me who you are. And he goes, you know, we're at the parking lot across from my church. And of course then Ted's like, you go to church? And uh, he, uh, but the, that's why, that is why Jake comes pulling up because he is going to the church to go see Samantha. Right. Yep. And then that leads to the scene that we're talking about.
0: And then they, but uh, after Ted and Caroline, Caroline does get out of the car and he and Jake do have that breaking apart moment. Right. And credit both actors for, even though the the movie is kind of Jake's tired of Caroline, there, you can kind of sense that between the two of them, that this is, the, the, the two actors are trying to portray a couple that, whether it's a high school couple or an older whatever it's a boyfriend and girlfriend that are kind of saying goodbye to each other at this point you can kind of feel the the relationship is ending at this at at this particular juncture where where jake is like this is the closure and you know he's not he's like you know messing around on on caroline it's like okay this the here's the break in the relationship she's going to go her way i'm going to go my way and now, now you kind of get like he's got the, the free and clear to go talk to Samantha. So he's
1: literally going to pull his car around the corner. I mean, he's, it, you, he's now going to then move in front of the church a few feet. And now he's what we're, we're talking about where he's waiting there. They, you know, Jake now see, and Caroline, he waves to her. She, you know, looks over the shoulder, like we say. And it's like, you know, it's just like me. he's like, you know, Mal's yes, you. And then they come walking forward and then they actually talk.
0: And it's a great conversation too, because you you, you can sense in the beginning, again, there's a whole, there's this whole social hierarchy here coming into this conversation. But yet as the two of them start to kind of fumble around in in talking to each other, she's like, what are you doing here? Like, it's not even dawning on her. He's like, I heard you were here. And so she's kind of coming to grips with the fact that here's a guy that she kind of fantasized about for who knows how long right now he's standing right in front of her saying i'm here to talk to you and so she again she's kind of nervous and he's asking if she needs to go to the reception and then at one point you kind of feel that the conversation is for samantha's kind of turned and all of a sudden she's like no
1: no i don't have to go
0: to the well reception. Just, he's like
1: Do you have to go to the reception yes can i call you later yes and then she's like no
0: no, but then you kind of see her. You kind of see the shyness kind of leave, right? And now she's now there. There's there's a little bit more of a common ground there between the two of them, right? And then he's like, "I can't call you later." Yeah, so he's trying to like get the clarification, and and that's when Samantha kind of like kind of like snaps to her senses. Yeah, where she's not kind of in dreamland or or having the starry eyes because Jake is who he's, he here. He is. He's standing right in front of her, and now she's she's kind of she's kind of
1: coming over. Coming over that hurdle, and up until this point, she couldn't even look at him. Right. You know that we didn't mention the the scene at the dance where, after Jake had talked to Ted, and you know Ted kind of said, "Oh yeah, she," you know, about her that she's interested, and he goes up to her, smiles at her, and she freaks out and runs away, and he thinks he hates her. Right.
0: Yep. So she doesn't do that this time. Right. So now they they finally. Uh, and then and then, one of the more iconic movie scenes of all time afterwards is the two of them sitting on top of the table. Well,
1: before you get to that, though, there there's a scene that I, I think is always great is okay. when they're walking to the car yeah. and the dad turns around yes, and, you're right. and sees her. And Samantha does this, this, this is the boy, she mouths to him. And right. just this emphatic point when she points to him and uh, the dad gives her a thumbs up. Yep, or gives like the okay sign, you know,
0: and and like I said, that that's you didn't see that happen too in too many movies, particularly up to that point, where like I said, uh, you know, a, a parent or a father is that supportive of a daughter, right? And I, I thought I thought that was pretty cool.
1: They, yeah. so and, they, and it kind of showed you uh, going back to that conversation that they had the night before, where it was kind of an adult conversation. She's very free to let her dad know and share that this is the boy that she was talking about that she's interested in. Right. Yeah,
0: definitely. And then of course, you know, from there it goes to the the scene where they're sitting on top of the dining room table uh, in front of the birthday cake. He he got her a birthday cake. Um, So they, they have that famous kiss over the, over the, you know, candles and movie comes to an end and a classic uh, comes to a
1: close. It does. And you know, so my question for for you, Scott, and you know, for our listeners out there, is why has this movie resonated so much? Because people of our generation love this movie,
0: absolutely love this movie. And I I, I read an interview with Molly Ringwald, and she said she's so grateful for the opportunity to play Samantha Baker in Sixteen Candles because, and she did, you know, she said for the first time. think about it how how groundbreaking a movie like this was because when had a teen movie ever been centered around a girl i can't think of one uh particularly in in somebody who was as realistic as what sam you know as what her performance was in this movie i credit all the actors for being so authentic to people that you and i knew probably ourselves you said i was young mike yeah Oh yeah. You know, just just people that were funny in their own way. They weren't necessarily trying to crack, you know, standing up there being comedians because that doesn't always work. But right. people can be funny in their own ways. People can be funny in their in their idiosyncrasies and their in their quirks. And I think we saw that just run the gamut in this movie. Anthony Michael Hall who I thought really carried the you know, I talked about driving force of a movie. He was such such a strong character. In the Ted's character in this movie was so good. Mm-hmm. He's kind of woven through this whole thing, even though he's not the necessarily the main character, but he he he's part of every importance, just about every important scene in the entire movie. And I credit Anthony Michael Hall for making him genuine. Like I said, he's a guy who was the king of the hill in the eighth grade, and now he's at the bottom of the barrel in high school, but he doesn't know it. And, but you see, you see these kids come together and you also see, like I said, the peer pressure of having groups away, you know, how, how the kids are when they're all together and how they behave. And then you also see the one-on-one conversations with people who, who were, uh, you know, like I said, prom queen talking to the freshman, and it's, it's a very back and forth, honest, real conversation.
1: Right. And I, I would agree with you. Definitely. The, the way the, the characters were written to be normal. Helped Because I think prior to this, when you would have your teen movies, these were larger than life characters, you know, always, always funny, always, always witty, always smooth, perfect. Usually you would have 30 year olds playing these characters. Well, here you actually had people that were 15, 16 years old playing the characters. Now, Jake Ryan was a little bit older. Mm-hmm. You know, Michael Scheffling was 23 when he played it. I think the the actress that played Caroline, I think she was like 24, 25. She was in her 20s, yeah. yeah. So you would have some of that. But even even down to some of the, uh, uh, you know, like the, the Tracy character, I, I looked it up. She was 19 at the time. So the, not that far the, off.
0: The parents were of age. Right. Uh, it seemed like everybody was cast in that, and where they were at their particular spots in life. You know, you look at, uh, you know, the people that played the grandparents. I, I looked up uh, Max Showalter's bio, mm-hmm. and he, he was like some prolific TV actor in the fifth. I mean, the guy had a 30- had or 40-year career up to
1: that point. Right. And he's Grandpa Fred. Right. But I uh, saw him appear in an episode of um, uh, Andy Griffith. Okay. Yeah. And and that's that would have been the era where he was, you know, a big sure. actor, early 60s. It was still with the black and white yeah, but, episodes
0: but i you know the the performances by just about everybody in the movie were were very true to i think how they were written right and credit the casting for for that movie cuz you hear the names of other people that were in that that audition for the role of the movie but i couldn't
1: imagine no. anybody else
0: in any of these roles in the movie
1: no and and also i think what has helped make it so enduring and iconic not not just to gen x but to younger generations Because I've heard millennials say that they love this movie. And, you know, even some of the Gen Zers that have seen it love this movie. And I think part of it is when I said way back at the beginning of the podcast that John Hughes said that he basically wrote what he would have said if he could have when he was 17. In a lot of ways, that's what he did. He kind of gave voice. He gave us the words. We had the feelings. Right. We're going through these things but he actually has these characters express these feelings for us and you're like yeah that's what I'm going through
0: a lot of a lot of times with those with those high school characters is many of them
1: are afraid to say what they feel yeah
0: and that's that's how it's written in the movie but
1: he's not writing it from the voice of an adult playing a 16 year old right you know he's writing it from the voice of an what would an actual 16 year old say if they could give words to their feelings and also one of the reasons why
0: i think this movie is so in, enduring and endearing is the fact that he had so much involvement from the young actors right who portrayed these 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 roles i, I you, know, you you can't you can't overstate that even a little bit the fact that they had a say in the, if they didn't like something or if they felt that something should be said or something improvised and that they did it uh you know and he kept it in there you know, he wasn't one of those. Uh, he was he was more of an encouraging type director, and I think it it showed through in the movie.
1: Well, I, I heard uh, you know when one of his directors say that you know later on when he doesn't direct, you know when when like Pretty Pink, you know he's he doesn't direct, he just writes, and he he kind of gives up the directing. And that as a director, normally what you know if an actor complains about something, his job is to say, "Hey, you need to do this. This is what the part requires." And he said, that's not how John would do it. John was, he was there and said he'd rewrite the lines. And he said he had the ability, because he, he could. You know, he would, he would go disappear in, in the trailer and he'd come back an hour later and he would have rewritten the scene.
0: Yeah, John Hughes, uh, probably one of the more prolific screenwriters in history.
1: And he said part of that was is because he worked at the newspaper, or at, at the magazine, sorry, at National Lampoon. So he was always on a deadline. So he learned to write fast. And as a result, when he wrote his movies, he wrote the exact same way. That was the formula that he used. right. Yeah. And who can deny the uh, success that he that he had? Well, we're, we're going to talk about more John Hughes movies. Sure. No, no doubt about it, but I you know I don't think we, we, we could have done or a whole lot better than than 16 Candles. I mean, I think it was a great launching point to talk about John Hughes. Uh, you know it, it's a movie that I have no shame in saying that that I, uh, I love that movie.
0: Who knows what John Hughes' career would have looked like had there not been a 16 Candles. But I know for for you and I, I, I'm sure I probably would have watched John Hughes' movies afterwards. But he really did put his name out there on the radar or on the map with, with this movie. As we said, you know, in the box office, it didn't do particularly well. But because it was such a well-made movie, it it grew a whole life of its own sure. after the movie theater. Sure, absolutely,
1: still played on television all the time. It's it's you know it's a great one. Right. Well,
0: that's we're that's, we're going to wrap it up here for uh, episode
1: number six. For oh, me. and and if I could add one thing sure. uh, as a little footnote to that, if you really want to know what my brother was like at twelve years old, go see Sixteen Candles and look at the character Mike.
0: I am Mike. Yeah. I, I pro- now i wouldn't have worn a Cubs shirt it would have been a philly, philly shirt yeah sure but yeah probably would have had sweatbands on in the kitchen yep uh you know chomping on pretzel pretzels steaks. and
1: putting them in your mouth like they're cigarettes yes. holding them like that without yep.
0: a doubt and being uh being uh you know smart aleck to my sister absolutely that probably summed me up yeah yep. Yep. I, you, you would say so yeah well, um, again, we hope you uh, hope you enjoy the episode on 16 Candles. And next episode, it's going to be my turn. So okay. we're going we're to turn things uh, a little bit more of, um, it's going to be a little bit, not necessarily one item is specifically, but what we're going to talk about are great albums of the 1980s. So in, in the 1980s, we're going to cover the highest selling albums of all time of okay. the 1980s. But I also want, not only uh, Sean but I want the you the listener to think about what were your favorite albums or what what albums maybe made an impression on you what were some what, some of the albums that you remember uh, you know maybe we're gonna probably talk about maybe five or ten albums each as far as uh, what we found to be influential in our lives or what we listened to at that particular time but we are going to talk about the highest uh, selling albums of the 1980s on the next Uh, episode of gen x playback and we certainly hope that you do join us for that
1: awesome i am looking forward to that i love album talk so i yeah that that, that'll be that'll be an awesome episode so uh music next week it was movies this week and we really do appreciate
0: everybody for for tuning in and uh staying in touch and, and listening in on gen x playback hopefully this is another story that brings back good memories for you that's what we're here for we're not uh, we're not drumming up bad stuff we want to talk about the good stuff from from our generation and 1984 and 16 candles it doesn't get much better than that so next week we'll talk music and uh again thanks for joining into uh, gen x playback i am scott and i'm sean and we will talk to you next time we'll talk to you soon thanks see you